know, I was thinking about this. In the middle of the miracles, how could we find our world in such a mess? How many have been worried a little bit? I mean, we're in war. I mean, we're not, but Russia and Ukraine are. I don't know about you, but I'm watching that very, very closely because it could start to the Third World War. I mean, it really could be the beginnings. Um, you know, you have an invading country. You've got people taking sides, and you've got Israel in the middle of all that. You've got a recipe for a, a world war. You've got all the chaos that's happening. I mean, we've got primaries from the voting, which brings a divide, Republican and Democrat, and God's not a donkey or an elephant, he's a lion, and that's who we're going for. Um, come on, somebody. Like, that's who we're going after. And, you know, I, I, I don't pick a party, I pick Jesus. I, I think there's one, one issue, there's a couple, but there's one, the right to life is the issue that has to be the staple of the church. We have to fight for unborn babies. And I know that doesn't make a popular statement, but that's the thing that I look for as a pastor is, will they fight and champion the right to life? Um, I don't look for the party line. I want to know somebody lives for God, not, not what your party stamp says. How, what does your life look like? Tell me about your marriage. Show me your family. Do you go to church? We've got to fight for, for, for the, the things that Jesus cares about. We don't even fight about it. We just, the only way we do is we just go vote. You know, I think the education system, you know, there's a massive move in the education system um, to really take God out of schools like never before and take parents out of decision making. Like listen, you know, there's a fight that's happening. Strong on both sides, critical race theory, strong on both sides. Well, what's your opinion? I got an opinion, but right now I'm preaching Jesus. And this is what I know, which one glorifies God? Stay with that one. You know, I was thinking about the racial divide. Media trying to pull us apart. Look, the church ought to be the one place, and this is the thing I love about our church. I think our church looks like heaven. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. You walk in a church, we got black, white, brown, red, yellow. You got everything. And I don't know if you know this, but Fort Bend County is the fifth diverse, most diverse county in America. In America, it was, wasn't it fifth or third? Might have been, it was like, it was Hawaii had three counties, New York, and then Fort Bend County. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Cool. Well, if that's what our county looks like, how I many know that's what our church ought to look like? And I look around and I'm like, man, thank God. Media, you can go right back to where, where you came from and the church is gonna glorify God and we're not gonna be distracted by those things. And, and the coronavirus, listen, I don't care if you wear a mask. Great, we disinfect, awesome. You belong here. Wear a mask, not a blow. You belong here. I'm grateful for the online op option. But you gotta know, Omicron, all those, they're not going away. It's not going away. You're always going to find a new variant. And there's chaos and fear that's circling around in the world. And if we're not careful, all that comes into the church. And, and where do we find ourselves? Somebody say, well, why are we walking through this? Well, what's happening is it's all a sign of the return of King Jesus. You have to know that. Like when you look at Matthew 24, Matthew 24 is where Jesus tells them, here's the signs. And one of the signs is wars and rumors of wars. And he goes on and he lists all the things. Well, what does that mean? That means we're at the birthing pains of the return of King Jesus. And I tell my kids, look, Jesus is going to split that sky. He is going to come across and come back for his bride. We are going to rise up and meet Jesus in the air. That's not a maybe. That's not a fairy tale. That is a fact that God is going to fulfill. Now, the question is, is it in our generation? I don't know. 
but I'm going to live like it is, and I'm going to live like it's right now. And I can tell you, I follow quite a few people that I believe are very well versed in Bible prophecy, and it seems to me that Jesus is going to come back in this generation. Now, what does that mean? Well, in one thing, everything, in one way, everything, in one thing, it's it's nothing because we don't stop and just huddle up in church. What does that mean? That means you go live your life and just keep preaching the gospel. And if you need to use words, then use them. In other words, let your life preach the gospel of Jesus and let's see as many people saved, set free, delivered, baptized with the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Until when? Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, he's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So we don't huddle up and go disengage from the world. God forbid that. The world needs us. You, you know, it's like we got to go to your job, go to your schools, go to the elementaries and the middle schools and the high schools and the workforce and be the salt and light to the world that is dying and desperate for something real. Not desperate for religion, but desperate for God. Don't let the craziness of this world drown out the greatness of our God. That's what I would say. Brag on the goodness of God. Brag on the miracles of God. See, our hope comes from God. Your hope doesn't come from the government. In case, I, I, I'm so amazed at what happened in the elections, this previous elections with the presidents. You know, there was such a pull from one side that we had a savior, and I'm just reminded, it was like, oh, if this happens, there's a side that's gonna be save us, and this happens, that he's gonna be the savior. It's basically what happened to the, to, to the society was one was gonna save us from this, and the other one was gonna save us from this. Can I tell you, there's one savior, his name is Jesus, and he saves us from the penalty of sin. There is no political party that is gonna save you or your family and rescue you. In fact, I believe it's probably gonna get worse but can I tell you my hope doesn't come from the government? Can I tell you my hope doesn't come from the economy? It doesn't come from your education or my education. It doesn't come from your financial bank account and bank statement or savings account or retirement. Our hope comes from God. And when you operate as a believer, am I telling you that you're gonna have the whole thing that, that the whole prosperity gospel has told you, you know, you're gonna be able to fly your own private jet, you're gonna have that beautiful big house. Look, I'm not promising you that. I don't know what your future is. Am I against it? Absolutely not. There are a lot of rich people that need Jesus. Come on, somebody. We gotta just stop preaching to the down and out. We need the up and coming. They need Jesus just like those that are poor. People that are rich have got problems. People that are poor got problems. People that are middle class got problems. So it's like, hey, we've just gotta preach Jesus and let him be the hope. Look at what it says uh, in uh, Romans 15, 13. Our hope comes from God, he is the source of hope. They'll have it up there. I think she's gonna get it up there. If not, then I'm just gonna tell it to you. You're gonna have to turn there. Get the old school Bibles out. Grab your Bible out. Romans 15, 13. Our hope comes from God. May he fill you with joy and peace because your trust in him. May your hope grow stronger by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody say the power of the Holy Spirit. That means the power of God on the inside of us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He fills us with his power. And, and look at what this says. If they had the verse, it probably froze. Oh, it's back there. Nobody told me it was back there. I was looking there. Thank you, Victoria. She was all on it. Look, come on, somebody. I, I don't know why I was looking for the lower thirds. Look, our hope comes from who? Everybody say. 
May he fill you with what? And? So how many need some joy? How many need some peace? Well, where does that come from? That don't come from your paycheck. Doesn't come from your bank account. Because see, that's the illusion of mammon. We serve one of two gods, God or mammon. That's what the Bible talks. Mammon is the spirit that's, that's on money that's not been submitted to God. So, and it really represents the, the enemy, the devil. It's either God or the enemy. And check this out. You can think, look, I'll have peace when there's more money in my bank account. No, you won't. Because here's the question, how much is enough? More. When's it gonna be enough? I just need a little bit. No, 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 no. Peace comes from God. Joy comes from, oh, well, when I get the new house. No, baby, when you get the new house, you'll have joy for about 30 days. And then you get the new house payment. And the insurance payment. And then something's gonna break at that house. And you gotta do maintenance at that house. And something will happen and you'll have a flood or a freeze. Come on, somebody, who knew frozen pipes would cost you so much? I was like, good Lord. I didn't even know there were pipes up in my attic. <laughs> Why? Because peace comes from God. Joy comes from God. And it's all when you what? Everybody say that word. Trust. Trust. Everybody say trust. Don't trust in yourself. Trust God. It says, then may your hope grow stronger. It's going to grow stronger. I want to grow stronger, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So your hope comes from God. Keep your eyes focused on God. Don't get distracted. Yes, go vote. Hopefully you voted yesterday. I exercised my right. Why? Because it's my right to vote. What did you vote? You don't need to know. It's my right to vote. I'll tell you if you ask me. But at the end of the day, the point is I, I'm going to be a part of the system because it doesn't do you any good to complain about something and not try to change it. You know, somebody say, well, I don't like this at your church. Good. What have you done to change it? Because I might not like it either. I just ain't found nobody to go and spearhead whatever the change is that we need. Come on, somebody. So you might be the prime candidate to get that change moving in this church. God might be speaking to you, and instead of complaining, why don't you come and be the solution? Come on, somebody. Right? I get frustrated people complain. Stop. Did you vote? No? Well, then shut up. <laughs> I say it nicely. You know? I just, I, I think we want to stay a participator in society and in what, what's happening around us, but just, but just we're not victims. We're going to let God do what God does, continue to, we got to pray. God calls us to pray for the government, pray for our job, pray for, keep doing it. Why? Because your prayer works. Sometimes God answers the way you want, and sometimes he doesn't, but he's still working behind the scenes. Our hope comes from God. Phyllis and I, we have been on this little kick. Uh, well, she has, and since she has, I have. Uh, it's a candle kick. Um, they, I don't know if you've ever heard of this place called Candle Chemistry. Anybody ever heard of Candle Chemistry? We, we kind of got into a little tiff about, it was little tiff. It wasn't like we didn't raise voices. Enough, but it was a little, she was a little frustrated at me. I took her to the store but didn't have enough time to make one. That is a major no-no, guys. If you go to the store, whether they say it or not, they want to make a candle. I'm gonna tell you, you go to candle chemistry, you better make enough time to make a candle. She's gonna be like, no, we didn't have to. And you're like, no, we need to. She's gonna be like, oh, that's so sweet. That was a setup anyway. So we go in there. Do you know they have over 100 fragrances for the candles? I didn't even know there were 100 smells. <laughs> They have, they have what they call scent stylists. 
Yeah, who knew? Like, you get in there, and she's like, oh, if you mix this, and you mix that, and then you light the candle. They got a little wick, goes in the, the wax, and put all the fragrance in there, and it burns. And as it does, when it's burning, it creates an aroma. And that's what we've enjoyed. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't all into the making candles. I'd do it for you, boo, but, but I, that day we just didn't budget enough time. And, uh, but I love the way they smell. I got one in my office. It's peppermint and rosemary. You know, I love some of those smells. And it evokes an emotion. It evokes a feeling. It's like, oh, if it smells good, how many know you want more? How many know if it don't smell good? Anybody ever walked into a bathroom? <laughs> Sat in one of those bathrooms and you're like, ooh, I should have gotten the other stall. And it evokes another emotion. And another feeling. And it is not, I want more. It's like, oh God, I can't breathe. <laughs> right? I, I'll never forget one of the worst smells and it has nothing to do with the bathroom, but it was in Guatemala. And if you're from Guatemala, I love Guatemala. I was there on a mission trip. Got nothing to do with the, the country of Guatemala. I love it, my people. <laughs> but there was a dump and it was the Guatemalan dump and they were burning trash. Have you ever been there? Who's from Guatemala? How many know about the Guatemalan dump? So I think I have a picture. You talk about the worst smell that I have probably ever smelled, ever. If you have the picture, show it up. And uh, it was, um, I mean, it's just, that's not the picture when I was there. That's a better picture. Oh, But that's how they live. They forage through the dump. They eat. There's a whole community of people that live there. But they'll burn plastic. Have you ever smelled burnt plastic and rubber? And all, they'll have computers, like all the stuff you're not supposed to burn. And, you know, when fire turns like different colors that are not like red and brighter, you know, it's like, ah, that probably shouldn't be burning in a fire. Um, they'll, they'll, they've even burned bodies. Feces, you ever smell burnt dung? Come on, somebody, is that a smell you want to smell? Absolutely not. But, but what burns creates an aroma and a fragrance and whatever that fragrance in then is like, oh, I want more or nah, I'll pass. I don't think I really want any of that. And I wonder if our lives are creating an aroma for God. And if so, what is that aroma that he smells? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2.15. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. What? You, you tell him, but that doesn't make sense. You say, Pastor, why, why would my life be a fragrance rising up to God? Well, because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, this is Paul speaking. And as Paul is speaking to the believer and the people who would have been his audience, they would have recognized and understood this analogy of aroma, sacrifice, burning, because, because believers would go into the Jewish temple and they would burn sacrifices to God. That's what they would do to atone for sins. Uh, they would burn sacrifices just in praise of what God had done. And so God would often speak through the prophets and people and say, that is a pleasing aroma to me when the sacrifice is burning, when you have done what you're doing. Look at, well, let me go there first and then I'll come back. Noah, Genesis, go to Genesis chapter eight, verse 20. I'm gonna give you an example of this. 
Noah, if you remember Noah, Noah built the ark. God told him for 100 years. Could you imagine to have one word and stay faithful for 100 years? Some of us have fought to stay faithful for just a year, a week. How many have ever been like, oh God, did you, did you really say? If I was Noah and I had to chop down the wood for that ark, have you seen the replica of the ark? I think after about the first tree, I'd be like, yo God, I need another sign. Speak, do a fleece. Like, make it wet, make it dry. Do something, God. Noah had one word, and he builds this ark. Now, of course, God saves him and his family, but look at what happens in verse 20. It says, then Noah built an altar. This is after the flood to the Lord and took some, t- some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled them, smelled what? The offering, the burnt animal. Now, it wouldn't smell good to us, but he didn't do it for man. He did it for God. You understand the difference? It's not about you. It's all about God. He says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. But think about this. It wasn't until he burnt an offering, a sacrifice to God, that God made the promise. Then Luke says, neither will I ever strike it down a living creature as I have done. Isn't that Amazing. And then we go into Romans chapter 12. I wanted to say that just to say the foundation. Now go into Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And look at what happens here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, 2. Paul is talking so they would have known and understood the concept of a sacrifice burning and that that is a pleasing aroma to God. So Paul talks here in verse 1. He says, therefore, and that therefore... Is, is a pretty amazing statement. You gotta go in and study the Bible, which, you know, I, I, I love studying and learning new things about God, but the first 11 chapters of Romans is really the plan of salvation. And Romans one through, chapter one through 11 is the plan of salvation Paul's talking about. And then chapter 12, now he's gonna talk about the practical application of salvation, and this is really the passage. So after talking about salvation, he says, therefore, how many have experienced God's salvation? How many know that salvation has been good? That God saved us. And I don't know if you're like me. I was strung out on drugs. I was born in a Christian home, raised in a Christian home, backslid from God. And when I did, brother, I knew how to backslide. Come on, somebody. And woo! Chasing everything but God. And God found me on a night when I was messed up. I wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for me. How many know that's salvation? happened to me in that night. Just like many of you have responded to the altar call, that salvation. Some of you, maybe it wasn't judged. Like, Pastor, I wasn't messed up like you. No, you were messed up in other things. Pride, jealousy, pain, relationships. We all got the vices. Why? Because it's a substitute. It's not Jesus. And so the devil's path is towards destruction. So no matter where it was, we were all dying and going to hell, but God in his mercy and grace saved us. In the light of that, therefore, I urge you to what? I want you to view in God's, in view of God's mercies to offer your body as a living, everybody say that word, sacrifice. What do you mean, pastor? Your life should be just like the animal that was sacrificed, that's an aroma to God. So it's a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will is his good, perfect, and pleasing will is. I talk about that a lot in the book. I think it's chapter five or six. 
But I want to talk about the living sacrifice. What did he say about it? Look, a living sacrifice, that, that when we do this, it's holy, it's pleasing. And so my question is, well, first think about this. Living sacrifice. What? What? Think about this. I mean, think about a sacrifice, which yeah, I wasn't there back then, but I've watched some movies. Come on, I must be an expert. And those, the movies you watch, you'll see like a pagan sacrifice. Nobody shows the Christian stuff, but, but you see an animal on an altar burning. How many know eventually that animal dies? Eventually it's consumed. But that's not what he says. You don't get on God's altar and then go to heaven. Now, I, I kind of wish I would. <laughs> God, I'm in heaven. Because how many know a living sacrifice Fire, death. I mean, think about that. So, so we, we walk through this Christian life and it's like, God, but I want the love and the joy. Uh, come on, favor ain't fair. I want that parking spot. Psalm 512, God, you surround me with favor as a shield. Yeah, but he also says die on his altar. Maybe you don't get that parking spot. Nobody wants to shout about that. Living sacrifice, can you, living sacrifice? Church goes crazy. Ah! <laughs> can you imagine? Like, what's wrong with them? I'm an aroma to God. No. It stinks. It's hard. You're like, it's painful. Maybe you're probably doing it right. I don't want to be there. You're probably doing it right. I feel like there's, God, it just don't feel fair. You're probably doing it right. God, I feel like they're, they're critical. They're judging me. Like, like I just wanted to pray for someone and I lost my job. You're probably doing it right. I didn't get that promotion. Probably doing it right. Started tithing. God, I didn't see no windows open up. You're probably doing it right. It's painful. But I can tell you that as the living sacrifice, your life brings an aroma to God, and I really believe it's based on how we respond. And I think there's a lot of times we get off the altar of God. God's got us laying down on the altar, and it's not right what they've said to you. What they've done to you is not right. The things you're walking through are hard. It's not fair. Life's not fair. You've been praying for healing, and targets the same healing that I've been praying and fasting for over 20 years. It's not fair. You're probably on the altar. And the question is, are you going to get yourself off the altar? Are you going to stay on God's altar? And then the question is, how do you respond to it? This is how we respond. Therefore, in light of salvation, dying and going to hell, God, whew, I will die a living sacrifice anytime. Because I would have spent eternity in hell with the devil absent from you. But God, I get eternal security. I'm going to live for all of eternity with you. If you want me to lay on this altar and die, I will die. I will lay here and I will say, God, to God be the glory. It's not fair, but my God is just. I don't understand, but his ways are not my ways. I don't think it's fair, but it ain't about me. Because when I'm dead, dead men don't have rights. Dead men don't get opinions. Why? 
because I'm a living sacrifice. Does it mean that you don't have pain? No. Does it mean that you don't ever get frustrated? No. I, I love this because here is, he didn't say, offer your body as a perfect sacrifice. Aren't you glad? Thank God. He just said a living sacrifice. And there's times you're going to squirm, times you're going to want to get off, and I, I think that's okay. I think there's going to be times you complain. You know, I love the Psalms. The Psalms is one of the greatest books of poetry, and I'm starting to uncover the fascination of those poets. They were phenomenal poets. But David's journey is absolutely unbelievable because, you know, he talks to God in ways that I think I would be worried. Have you read the songs that say, God, did he really say that to you? He's a man after your heart because he doesn't sound like a man that would come from the heart of God. But what he's doing, what, what is he doing? He's showing us the journey of a living sacrifice, the struggle. My enemies have tried to overtake me. My enemies have crushed me. There's no life in my bones. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like he's almost complaining, but yet what you see is he never moved. He didn't get off of God's altar. I don't think God cares about us talking about the pain we're walking through to him. Now, you start talking to everybody else, that kind of becomes a problem, right? That's what happened with Joseph. Oh, I had a dream. You're going to bow. God's like, I got a test. Hopefully, you'll pass. He don't mind us talking to him about the pain and the, the, the journey. and the pro As long as we just stay on the altar. David never moved from the altar. Well, what's the altar? It's whatever struggle you're walking through. It's the fact that you're breathing. Come on, somebody. I mean, just waking up in the morning is part of the altar. You're gonna choose today to be grateful. You're gonna choose today to be frustrated, ungrateful. There's always something to complain about. Are we gonna wake up? We can say, God, today I'm grateful. God, I love you. I don't understand everything, but I love you. And then the good days, we celebrate even more, but we're not gonna remove ourselves from the altar of God. We're gonna be a living sacrifice, not a perfect sacrifice. And I was thinking about this, when we're not perfect, when we make mistakes, which we all do, I've got three things I wanted to tell you. I'm gonna say them quick. Repentance, well, three areas. Repentance, brokenness, and humility, I believe are the equivalent of the death. Repentance, brokenness, and humility. It's like when I'm dying, it's like, God, I wanna repent when I made a mistake. When I tried to pull myself off the altar, I was thinking on the sabbatical, the Lord's, I felt like the, the Lord really spoke to me, go pray for someone or talk to someone. And I was in Florida. I was in Rosemary Beach. Man, I was suffering for Jesus. It was, it was so rough, but somebody's got to do it, right? I'm just telling you. That's why I got my little tan going on. And I felt like the Lord told me to, to just go say hi to somebody. I thought it would lead to prayer. And honest to God, your pastor failed. I failed. If you could put an F on it, you could put an F on it. I failed. Why would you say that? Because you need to know. I don't always get it right. But you know what I did? After I left, because it was a gentle nudge. You know, if it would have been, go pray, I'd have been like, okay, okay, I'll go pray. But it wasn't. I mean, no, you know, the more mature you get, God just does a little gentle nudge. And he's like, go pray. And I'm like, but I want that ice cream. <laughs> I won't pray. And then, I mean, you know, someone's go pray, and it's like, well, I'll do it, but I'll do it after I eat the ice cream. <laughs> but he didn't say that. He said, go pray for him. And I felt the Holy Spirit. I said, God, what do I do? He said, just tell me I'm sorry. Just repent. And next time I speak, go do it. That's what repentance is. My mom really instilled that into me, that God's not looking for perfection. You just apologize 
repent. I didn't make it here, but God, you give me another chance, I'm gonna do it here. And that's what our life is built on. So if you find yourself coming off the altar, maybe you've been complaining. God's got you in a tough spot. You found yourself, just repent. God, I was, I was complaining to people. <laughs> now I'm gonna complain to you. Don't stop complaining, just complain to the right person. I, I'm amazed. Come on, Holy Spirit, right over there. Sure, Sharonda got the Holy Spirit. Lord, Lord. <laughs> Look, Alexis is so spiritual, she's pointing at Sharonda. <laughs> but you know, you think about, it's just the fact that we simply repent. We just say, God, I'm sorry, I missed it. I'm gonna, you made me miss my point, so it's okay. I had a really good thought there, but the thing that made me miss it was Alexis pointing to Sharonda. <laughs> Just repent. Just tell God I'm sorry. Look at what Psalm 51, one through two, and I'm almost done. I know you said three, but they're, they're gonna go quick. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all of my sin. God, just cleanse us. Everybody say, God, forgive me. He's so good about that. I, I, we serve such a great God. Second thing is brokenness. Brokenness is the state of surrender and defeat. It's not just surrender. Like, can I tell you, there's gonna be days you feel defeated. Anybody ever felt defeated? Yeah, you're probably walking through some brokenness. And how you respond in that moment will determine where you go. I love David and Absalom. You know, you think about this. Absalom, his son, garners the people away from the king himself. That's why we have, if you ever heard the spirit of Absalom, people that attract themselves to themselves, there's a spirit of Absalom. We should point people to Jesus. Like, yes, you got authority, you point them to the church and all those things. But, but Absalom, David's son, when he is attacking David, David leaves the palace and says, if this is God's judgment, he doesn't even fight against, because David understands, look, sometimes brokenness just comes through what looks like defeat, but how many know God got his day of judgment? Absalom was hung by his hair because God judged Absalom. And some of you are trying to defend yourself. Don't you know? Just close your mouth. Wouldn't it be better for God to defend you than for you to defend yourself? So some of you feel defeated. Hey, welcome to the altar. Shouldn't feel that way, really? Because my Bible is full of stories of people that felt it. Can I tell you, when I wrote the book, Unstuck and Unstoppable, I felt very stuck, come on somebody, and very stoppable. But you wrote a book. Yeah, I wrote a book through the pain of getting unstuck and the pain of becoming unstoppable. And I wrote even in the book, and I'm sure I'll get stuck again. <laughs> Can we just get real and stop playing this Christian fake life? Like, look, I get stuck. Phyllis gets stuck. Look, our poop stinks. Don't walk in the bathroom after me, baby. And I mean, no, it's okay. <laughs> They're like, I am never following pastor around. Brokenness, sometimes it's defeat. Hardship. See, life, we want it to be steady and painless, but I want you to know, and I want you to know as a Christian, I'm actually gonna teach you something different. You better get ready for the pain. And here's something that if you wanna ask what the Lord really put in my heart, I was reading a book, uh, Revival God's Way by um, Leonard Ravenhill. Uh, I was on staff at a ministry where Leonard Ravenhill's gravesite was right down the road, so I had a fondness for Leonard Ravenhill. Great revivalist. What's funny is his church was never more than like 50 people. 
in his day, you wouldn't have looked at him like, like a, you know, Stephen Furtick. He was just a prophet, just a man who was on a mission, and God has used his voice to bring revival all over the world. And one of the things I was reading in the book, it was so powerful, and it touched me. He said, you know, the challenge today is preachers are known all over America, but not in hell. And I thought, let this be a church. Who cares if anybody ever hears the name of Anchor Bend, Pastor Jim, but let the devils in hell be on guard because they've heard about a church that will lay on the altar of God and say, God, we're not moving. We're gonna be a living sacrifice and let us burn. Let us burn for God. Can we give you famous and let the devil say, you know, because you think about the seven sons of Sceva. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know, but who are you? I wonder if many Christians like Paul, I know, and Pastor Jim, I know, but who are you? He said, well, you're a pastor. No, 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 no. I'm a, t- I'm a pastor, but can I tell you, you're a priest too? Like, they, look, we're all equal brothers and sisters in Christ. You ought to be just as famous in hell as I am. We ought as a church be famous. God help us. And then third one's humility. And I just want to instill this humility part into you. This, the, this is the phrase I'm going to say. You guys can come out. Um, humility is not thinking less of yourselves, but just thinking of yourself less. So real humility is believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own. I'm gonna drop the mic on that one. That's humility. Not an overestimation, but not an underestimation. I want you to know you're more powerful than you think you are. Every once in a while, you gotta say, some some people, they have that, like, I'm better than everybody else. When I look at our church, I don't get that air about you. You know, and I'm not saying that I'd get it about... We're just a gritty church that loves God. White, you know, white collar, blue collar, black, white, yellow, brown. We're all, but, but, but what, we, what we understand is, I, if I were to challenge you with, nothing, with something, it would, I think you think too less of yourselves. I'm not good enough. I think it's, you know, you see a lot of that in a Hispanic culture. You say, well, well what do you mean, Pastor? Well, a lot, of, a lot of people made it across the border and they're just trying to scratch out a life. You, what do you mean? Well, it's not you, but it's your parents. And you saw your parents live underneath because, listen, you're not just a skilled laborer. You're a son or daughter of God. Don't you let the enemy lie to you. Slavery, I know it happened, and I'm sorry for the injustice of that. And man, if I could have been back then, I would hope that I would fight with brothers to bring equality. But don't think of yourself less. You're a son or a daughter of God. And I know there's been injustices, and, but at the end of the day, this is what we know. I don't want to think more of myself, but I'm going to walk in the righteousness of God. I'm going to walk in the promises of God, and I'm going to walk in the victory of God. Now, I'm not telling you it's always going to be great and easy, but God's victory is great because he gets the glory. Whether I'm walking through the valley or I'm on the mountain, God gets the glory. And some of you got to get that humility of, I, I'm a son or a daughter of God. I have the right that he has bought for me, not just salvation. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to find out we made it to heaven but left everything God had for you here on this earth unopened, all the gifts, all the benefits, all the power? Well, why? Because we just didn't think of ourselves like God thinks of us. I wanna challenge you in that. Walk in the humility of God. And then 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin. Look what it says, I'll heal their land. 
And then 1 Peter chapter 5, 5 says, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. What's that mean? You ought to prefer each other. Man, no, no, you go first. There ought to be a fight. Oh, you go first. You ever sat at the table? It's funny. You ever had a fight to pay the bill? That's almost how we ought to live our lives. Now, some of you, it's a, it may be a fake fight. It's, uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was with a pastor one time, and I said, I, I always pay for people. You know, being my president, I mean, it's like every once in a while, you don't have to fight me for it. But this pastor, he did such a fake effort to pay for it. I was like, I almost didn't even pay for it just because he bothered me. I'm like, you didn't even try. But it don't be like that, right? Are you standing like, hey, you, you get coffee. No, no, you do this. That's humility. It's like, man, I prefer you. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Listen, we got rich people in this church. We got poor people in this church. Man, man or woman. Young people, mature people. Right? It's like there shouldn't be this divide. It's it's humility. And then I just, I just want to leave you with this. We, we often pray, God consume me. Let your fire burn within me. And I think they're all good. They're all great. But God's fire doesn't fall on empty altars. Have you gotten off the altar? The moments become painful and we remove ourselves. And I wonder as we stand up and close this service, go ahead and stand up. If we could just we're going to sing just a song of worship. I don't even know where we go, Alexis. King of glory. Hold on. Just, no, no, no. Go ahead. I wonder if we could just even just say, hey, bring me that mic so I don't have to fight this feedback. That even as we you know, close and the Holy Spirit has probably already revealed some things to you. And, and here's what I would say. Hey, listen, even, you know, my life is constantly, God, just help me see what I don't see. And when I see it, God, I just want to repent. God, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I wasn't aware. But I'm going to be quick to repent. I'm going to think the way that God wants to think. And, and any brokenness, any... Because here's what I'm, I'm convinced of. You've got dreams that God placed in your heart. They didn't happen the way you thought they would happen. And there's this brokenness where it's like, God, my expectation, I thought... Listen, I'm 44, 45, 45 years young. And life hadn't always panned out the way I thought it would be. And as a mature adult... That youthful vision and vigor and dreaming, it's like, well, how many of you found yourself, if you're my age or maybe not younger or older, you find, well, maybe that's not God's will. Anybody? Can we just be honest? I thought, I want to challenge you with this. God said this would be a year of miracles. Maybe that's the miracle God wants to do in your life. There's never a path from the prison to the palace. It's never going to happen. It's not like, because if you're ambitious, you can say, well, if I get my four-year degree here, I'll go get my master's here and my doctorate there. I'll, if I can get the residency here, then I can end up being at this place at this level, and that's my plan, and it'll take me about 14 years. No, 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 no. That's not how it works with God. Joseph was 20 years. David ran, what, 14 years. 
on the run. Like, it's like, God, you're anointed. It's this. I thought everything was good. It's like, there's never that path. What I do know is there's a path to the altar. <laughs> I know you got your degree. I know you got money in the bank. But I don't know about the future of what this economy is going to do. I don't know what your job's going to do, but I do know what my God will do. That if we'll lay our lives at the altar of God and let it burn, it's a pleasing aroma. And man, when you smell something good, what do you want to do? Man, I'm going to bless that. Just think about the candles. It's like, I'm going to buy that candle, and I'm going to buy that candle. And See, God is looking for people that wherever he places them, people see God. It's like, oh, that must be what Jesus would be like. I bet that's how God would respond. And I wonder if there's those of us in this place, it's just like, God, I want to respond. And as we sing, here's what we want to do. You feel free to come down to the altar. We're not going to pray for you here. If you want prayer, we'll have ministry team. In fact, you can go up on the side ministry team. Go ahead and present yourself. Go ahead to the sides. You want to come down and kneel? Feel like you kneel, kneel. You want to write something on the cross? I love those crosses. And just say, God, today I want to relay my life down at the cross of Jesus. Maybe you want to burn a candle. Maybe you want to take communion. It's a holy moment. And you're like, God, I just I want to be in this moment. I want to take communion. We have those elements in the back. And I just want to do this. This is going to be our close. We'll sing this, and Alexis will close this out. But would you guys get the lights right for me here so they can worship? And, and we're just going to do a soft close, and she'll dismiss us. But can we just respond now, church? Come on, let's sing this.